This morning, Loving the Brethren, Part 3, Money Matters. Please take your Bibles and turn to Hebrews chapter 13. We're going to look at two verses today, verses 5 and 6, but we're going to read verses 1 through 6. So please stand with me as we read God's Word. What a privilege we have to read the Word of God, which is living, which is active and sharper than any double-edged sword. And God uses it to pierce All the way through our hearts. So let's read. Let love of the brethren continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for by this some have entertained angels without knowing it. Remember the prisoners as though in prison with them, and those who are ill-treated, since you yourselves also are in the body. Marriage is to be held in honor among all, and the marriage bed is to be undefiled, For fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. Make sure that your character is free from the love of money, being content with what you have. For he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. So that we confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What will man do to me? And Lord, we thank you for your word. We pray, Lord, you'd speak to our hearts this morning. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. And please be seated. I have in my hand one small, shiny, insignificant penny. One cent. Did anyone find any coins out on the plaza this morning? I heard that one person found a whole bunch. But did you pick any up? Did you pocket any? Did you give any away? You can find pennies all over the place. I picked one up yesterday as I was walking. You know you live in an affluent area when pennies are not valued. And with affluence comes consumerism. We live in a country that contains about 4% of the world's population, but consumes 25% of the stuff. In fact, it takes about 25 tons of raw materials to make the stuff that each one of us individually uses every year. In America, we have 33% of the cars. We use 25% of the gasoline of all the world. For 4% of the population. And, and every piece of U.S. currency has these words, in God we trust. I, I think it's ironic. <laughs> I think it's ironic because money is one of the things that tests our trust in God. How we deal with money reveals some important things about us. How you save, spend, and give money reveals where your true heart is with God. It shows godly character or the lack thereof. It shows contentment or the lack thereof. And it shows where we truly put our confidence. You see, the heart that's too attached to things of this world is out of balance and grows cold to God and His promises and His good gifts and His provision. We buy things we don't need with money we don't have. 
to impress people we don't like. (laughs) And to satisfy desires we don't even understand. And on the other side of the coin, money is one arena of life, like marriage and purity that we saw last week, where spiritual strength and conviction can be grown and evidenced and which God can use to show through our lives his greatness and the value of knowing him. Just as we can in marriage and in purity, we can glorify God and show forth his greatness in the wise use of money. Hebrews chapter 13, in the context of loving the brethren, the matter of money follows that of marriage and purity. And warnings against marital unfaithfulness and the love of money are found together several times in Scripture. But more Christian witness has been destroyed by sin in these two areas than almost anything else. So it's important for us to understand. It's important for us to grasp what Hebrews 13, 5 and 6 is getting at. If we're going to let love of the brethren continue... We cannot be lovers of money. It hinders our love for God and it hinders our relationship with other people. So so Hebrews 13, 5 and 6 is highlighting the concepts of character and contentment and confidence as they relate to money. First, how we deal with money reveals our true character. Look at chapter 13, verse 5. Make sure that your character is free from the love of money. That's what the NASB says. The NIV says, keep your lives free from the love of money. The New King James Version says, let your conduct be without covetousness. The Revised Standard Version says, keep your life free from the love of money. Now the King James Version translated it, conversation. Let your conversation be without covetousness. Now back in 1611, when that was translated, conversation meant something different than it means today. It meant what the Greek word meant, manner of life or behavior, attitude. And the the New American Standard views it in an an internal sense, uh, let your character be free from the love of money, while the others seem to address it as an external Conduct, life, way of life. But either way, what we are on the inside springs out in our actions. Our true character is revealed by what we do. And so as it relates to character, as it relates to conduct, what does it mean to be a lover of money? If you're a a lover of money, what does that mean you're all about? Well, the phrase, free from the love of money is really a a compound Greek word. Without covetousness is another way to put it. But it's a compound Greek word. um, Aphilargaros. It's come from three Greek words. Phileo, to love or to be fond of. Argaros, silver. And then at the beginning, ah, not. So literally, not fond of silver. So if you are a lover of money, you are fond Silver and gold. A lover of money has a special attachment to money. 
It's the driving force of one's life. It is one of the primary focuses of a person's life. And the exhortation here is against covetousness, the love of money. It's, for, it's clearly uh, forbidden in Scripture in, in many places. But first, let's go to Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, the preacher is preaching, and he says regarding money, starting at verse 10, Ecclesiastes 5 and verse 10, He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves abundance with its income. This too is vanity. When good things increase, those who consume them increase. So what's the advantage to their owners except to look on? Verse 13, there is a grievous evil which I have seen under the sun, riches being hoarded by their owner to his hurt. When those riches were lost through a bad investment, and he had fathered a son, and there was nothing to support him, and as he, uh, as he had come naked from his mother's womb, so he will return as he came. He will take nothing from the fruit of his labor that he can carry in his hand. Exactly as a man is born, thus he will die. In Luke chapter 16, Jesus said, No one can serve two masters. He's either going to hate one and love the other, or he's going to be devoted to one and despise the other. And then he said, you cannot love both God and money. Now when Jesus said that, the Pharisees, who were lovers of money, they sneered at him. They mocked him for saying it. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, we see that qualifications for church leaders include not being given to drunkenness and not being violent but gentle, and not quarrelsome, and not a lover of money, not fond of silver and gold. We're told in 2 Timothy chapter 3 that in the last days, people will be lovers of themselves and lovers of money. And so Hebrews 13.5 says, keep your lives free from the love of money. Keep your character free. Keep your conduct free. Free. God wants us to be free from the love of money rather than in, not enslaved to it. But it's a struggle to keep money in perspective in daily life. It's just a struggle we live with. If we're too focused on, on getting it or on keeping it, we can't be focused on loving and following God and pleasing Him. Um, some are too loose with their money. Some are too tight. We see things we want, and, and some of us don't deny ourselves much in life. Others may neglect to help others who are needy because they can't, you know, part with their hard-earned coinage. But we can't be both lovers of God and lovers of money. Because they divide our allegiances. They split our direction in life. They confuse our desires. Jesus warned whoever followed him that they could not love him and money. No one can serve two masters. Now, the awfulagorous person, the, the person who is not a lover of silver, who is free from the love of money, sees money simply as a way to serve God. It's a tool. 
It's a way to meet needs. They don't allow it to become the driving uh, focus or preoccupation of their life. But people will view money either as a tool or as a treasure. A tool or a treasure. A tool to be used for service and ministry and blessing others or a treasure to be held on to. A treasure to be sought after and then to be kept safe once we found it and protected. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus speaks of where our treasure lies. Matthew 6, 19, Jesus said, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moss and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And then in verse 24, again, no one can serve two masters. You can't love me in cash. See, if money is a tool and God is my treasure, then everything I have, I see it as it's God's. It, it all belongs to Him. If if money is my treasure and God is my tool, then it's all mine and I give him what I can when I want. But God won't be used as a tool to get more treasure. He wants us to find our worth in him. See, God blesses us so that we can in turn be a blessing to others. Keep your lives free from the love of money. So first, Money reveals our true character, whether we are using money as a tool, whether we are seeing it as a treasure, whether it is the driving focus of our lives. And the second thing that money shows, it shows where our contentment or lack thereof lies, whether we're content or not. Verse 13, 5 again says, being content with what you have, being content with with the things you have. The word content is an interesting word. It's the Greek word archeo, and it means to have unwavering strength. It means to be strong. It means to be enough. And that word came to mean to be satisfied or to be contented. And the umbrella idea is being satisfied with what meets basic needs. Just having enough. It doesn't mean desiring more than meets basic needs. Contentment is the ability to depend upon the Holy Spirit and to be independent of outward circumstances and to have enough with what we have. And contentment is the opposite, diametrically opposed to covetousness. See, the covetous want what they don't have and they want what others have and they're wrapped up in it. To the point where they want to be always keeping up. Obsessed with getting more material things. And Jesus said in Luke 12, 15, A man's life doesn't consist in the things he owns. I looked around my house yesterday. I, I said to my family, we were in one room, and I said, In this room, do you realize that there are more things in this room than many families around the world have their whole lifetime?" We're surrounded by stuff. 
The poorest among us is a wealthy person anywhere else in the world. The understanding what Jesus was getting at really frees us up. A man's life does not consist in what he owns. Our net worth is not our real worth. When we have Jesus, we have all that we need. When we have Jesus, we have all that we need. Let me say it one more time because I know that's a hard one to take. When we have Jesus, we have all that we need. But even so, wouldn't it be easy to resent those words? Especially if you don't have much. This teaching cannot be applied to others unless we first test them in our own lives. And this warning was important to the original recipients of this letter. It was tested in their life first. They had their stuff taken. They had been and were going to be mistreated for being Christians, including having their property taken. And they were not to concern themselves with recovering their lost property. Because they had Jesus and he was all they truly needed. See, being content is a state of being that drives our doing and it's the opposite of covetousness. And also the opposite of contentment is greed. Greed. Greed is the desire for more. Coveting what we do not possess. Being possessed with the idea of possessing. Our lives are going to either be characterized by gratitude or greed. Grateful for all that God has given us or greedy and grasping for more. The grateful see money as a tool for ministry. The greedy see it as a treasure to be protected. A treasure to be hoarded. The greedy are never happy. They're always unfulfilled. It's kind of like that old fable of the dog with the stake in his mouth and he, he sees, uh, looks into a pool of water and sees Another dog with a stake in his mouth, and so he grabs for that one and loses the one he had, not realizing what he was doing. 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 10. Let's go there. 1 Timothy chapter 6. Speaking of wanting more, speaking of trying uh, with all our might to get more. Actually, go to verse 6. 1 Timothy 6 and verse 6. Godliness is a means of great gain when it's accompanied by contentment. Having enough. For we have brought nothing into the world so we can take nothing out of it either. Shades of Ecclesiastes 5. If we have food and covering with these we shall be content. But those who want to get rich, and and see the key words here, want to get rich, fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. In verse 10, for the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil. And some by longing for it, another key word, longing for it, have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Money in and of itself is not immoral. Money is amoral. Being rich is not a bad thing. There were very many wealthy men in in Scripture who loved God and pleased God. 
But money in the hands of the wrong person can be used for evil. In the hands of the right person, it can be used for good. You can be poor and greedy. You can be wealthy and content. Money doesn't corrupt you. Greed corrupts. C.S. Lewis once said this, He who has God and everything has no more than he who has God alone. He who has God and everything has no more than he who has God alone. But greed blinds us to truth. Greed messes up our giving and our spending. Regards our giving, God wants us to, as Malachi says, bring the whole tithe in, bring in all that God intends for us to, to give to Him. With that in mind, in terms of the New Testament, I'd say, in terms of giving, start with 10% and go on from there. The standard is always higher with grace. But God owns everything. Not just 10%. God owns 100% of everything we have. We are stewards of His resources. And God loves cheerful givers. But overspending and debt come as a result of greed. As Proverbs 22.7 says, the borrower becomes the lender's slave. And being in debt is a snare that keeps us from fully serving God. And getting out of debt frees us to more fully serve God. But we're being watched. We're being watched by the younger generation, by our own kids and by others. How we give, how we save, how we spend... Those that are watching us are either catching covetousness or contentment, gratitude or greed. Colossians 3.5 says that greed amounts to idolatry, worshiping an idol. On the flip side, contentment is one of the purest indicators of true worship of God. Jeremiah Burroughs, in his book, The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment, wrote this. You worship God more by contentment than when you come to hear a sermon or spend half an hour or an hour in prayer. Contentment is the soul's worship. To subject itself thus to God by being pleased with what God does. Contentment. Money reveals our character. Money reveals whether we're content or not. And finally, our handling of money reveals where we place our confidence. Where our confidence lies. See, the reason why a Christian can and should obey this exhortation is found in the last part of verse 5. For he himself has said, God himself has said, I will never leave you, nor will I ever forsake you. To leave means to leave without support. Forsake means to leave someone in distress. 
to leave them in the lurch, to, to desert them. God's saying, I'm not going to do that. I am not going to abandon you, and I'm not going to forget about you. What a comfort and encouragement and a motivator of courage and confidence that believers can be confident in every circumstance of life. We can be confident in every circumstance of life because God's never going to leave us and he's never going to forsake us and money is the area that we're tempted the most many days to doubt that. There are five negatives used in Hebrews 13.5. Five negatives to show that there is no way in the world that Christ will desert his followers. God is emphatically saying there is no possible way, there is absolutely no way whatsoever that I will ever leave you in the lurch or ever desert you. Jesus promised, Matthew 28, 20, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, because of God's promise, we have confidence. And this is a group declaration. It says that we confidently can say. Look at verse 6. So that we confidently say, because of God's promise to never leave us or forsake us, we confidently can say, God's my helper. I'm not going to be afraid. What can happen to me? What can man do to me? Well, man can fire you. (laughs) The man can fire you. Man can take away your stuff. Man can do a lot of things to you. But what ultimately can man do to you? Nothing. Nothing. This is a group declaration. We are to boldly say with courage, God's our helper. It's going to be all right. Well, sure, man can do plenty of things to us here on earth, but ultimately they can, uh, man cannot touch us. God's our helper. He's with us. Our souls are safe with Jesus. No circumstance then should shake the child of God. Not a job loss, not bankruptcy, not a stock market crash. Not running out of money. So you're probably in one of two places today. You either... With regard to money, you either don't have enough, and I realize that's subjective, but either you don't have enough or you have more than enough plus. One of two places. And the temptations in being in both places are very similar. How so? Well, those with too little are tempted to become consumed with how to make up what they lack. Just trying to survive. See, God knows things like bank accounts and retirement accounts and salaries and benefits and bills can consume us. Now, those with enough plus, they're tempted to become consumed with protecting it, trying to keep insecure riches secure. And both issues can become a snare. So what's your issue? Survival or security? Survival or security? Which one consumes your thoughts and your time and your energy? For those just trying to survive, the question is, do you trust God to provide what you need? 
For those with enough plus, the question is, do you trust God to protect what he wants to protect? See, both are trust issues. We aren't content because we don't trust God. Both sides of the coin, both ends of the monetary financial uh, spectrum. Rich and poor alike struggle with trust. The poor face daily demands for daily survival. An empty stomach, an empty bank account, lack of transportation, lack of social advancement. Tempted to call God's promised provision into question. Will God really take care of me? Does he really have my back? And the rich can become deluded by the false security that money gives. And feel no no need for the promises of God. Why do I need God? Why do I need to trust God when I'm so self-sufficient? Back in Bible times, the Stoics believed that that man should be self-sufficient in everything. Needing no one, not even God, to meet his needs because he was able to meet his needs on his own. Paul was different. He learned the secret. It's found in Philippians chapter 4. Let's go there. Philippians chapter 4. And, and verse 10. Paul learned the secret. He knew the secret. He said, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. He's speaking to the church and saying, I know you wanted to help me, but the opportunity wasn't there. And then he says, but I don't speak from want. I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am in. I know how to get along with humble means. And I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret. I've learned the secret of being filled and going hungry. Both of having abundance and suffering need. He knew the secret. And what was the secret? Look at the next verse. Philippians 4.13 I can do all things through him who strengthens me. We can be content in every situation because we have God and he is enough. Jesus strengthens us. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can be poor. I can be rich. I can do without. I can do with plenty. I can give and I can save and I can spend to glorify God because God is the secret. (laughs) I still remember a sermon preached uh, back in 1983 by my pastor at Downey First Baptist, Harold Adams. He was preaching Philippians, and he got to Philippians 4.19. My God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And, and his outline was this. My God, that's personal, shall supply, that's a promise, all your needs, that's practical, According to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Proportionate to who God is. God will do that for every one of us. No matter what our station in life. Remember the words of Jesus. He used common things like like lilies and, and treasures and emotions like fear and worry to teach us and show us what was, was really important. Back in Matthew 6, 
He said, don't be anxious. Don't say, what are we going to eat? What are we going to drink? What are we going to wear? For the Gentiles seek these things, and your heavenly Father knows you need these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things shall be yours as well. Remember, we're not taking anything with us. And what we do leave behind will burn someday. See, God wants us to store up for ourselves treasures in heaven. When God is our treasure, we're not going to be taken in by fool's gold. A.W. Pink wrote this, Contentment is the product of a heart resting in God. Contentment is the product of a heart resting in God. It is the blessed assurance that God does all things well and is even now making all things work together for my ultimate good. We need rest. I need rest. You need rest. Jesus in Matthew 11, said, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn of me. I'm gentle. I'm humble in heart. You'll find rest for your souls. So rest in Jesus. Rest in his goodness, in his greatness, in his presence, in his provision. Let yourself be overwhelmed by the riches of Christ. See, true security is found only in Jesus. Everything good comes from close communion with God. And the more we think of Jesus, the less we'll think of other things. Love Jesus and your love of things will fade away. Commune with Him. And and character and contentment will blossom. Confidence. Confidence in God will reign supreme in our lives. Let's pray. Lord God, we are not sufficient in and of ourselves but you are our sufficiency. And so we thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.